You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, the podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I'm Cliffy D. You can find me on Twitter at Cliffy D. And I'm Tim Capper. You can also find me on Twitter, but at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And this podcast is presented by our good friends over at Sportbuff, where if you use the promo code FLIGHTDECK-10 at checkout, you will save 10% off your entire order. So head over to sportbuffshop.com, use the code, and save, save, save. And the Alouette's Flight Deck is all over social media. You can follow us on Twitter, at Alouette's FL Deck. You can find us on Instagram, at Alouette's Flight Deck. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck Pod. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Just do a search for Alouette's Flight Deck. And make sure you hit that subscribe button because we are so close, folks, so close to being able to give away that beautiful satin retro jacket. So make sure you leave a like, leave comments, and by all means, subscribe to the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast. And don't forget, if you want, you can also get our merchandise over at teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck. Yeah, and obviously I want to give up uh, a promo. It's very weird, Cliff, to actually see some, one of our two faces uh, on uh, on our YouTube page. I was able to put out a an unboxing this week of these. Oh, Cliff, you have to get these, dude. They they're these these gorgeous three D printed pro uh, what pocket pro style Alouette historical helmets. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to bring one to you the next time that I that I see you because these are you saw the pictures that I sent to you on on what the pocket pros versus these things look like. These, these aren't your daddy's pocket pros, dude. I mean, they come with the, the the face mask. They come with the chin straps. What pocket pro ever came with a chin strap, dude? Well, and again, folks, if you're if you're not sure exactly what this is, like think about like back when you were a kid, those little gumball helmets that you would buy for a quarter from the from the gumball machine. Same idea, same thing, except you don't have to you know, try and mess with stickers and all this other nonsense. Like, no, the, these look uh, amazing. I mean, the, the, this is just – they're outstanding. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure like, the photos and even the video doesn't do it justice. Mm-hmm. You folks – I mean, if you're a football fan, you definitely got to check this out because uh, Tim's video was outstanding. Uh, just to see these things is so cool. Like, I can't believe – like, like I, I, I can't believe that the, the LOS had thought of – doing something like, like this before themselves. Oh yeah. And, and you being a Niners fan, I being a Steelers fan, I'm sure you, you, I'm sure you would like one of these in your favorite NFL team too. There you go. So, I mean, like this, this, this applies for all football fans when you think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. these are just so cool. And the fact that the LOS have had so many classic iconic looking helmets over the years, I mean, to be able to get all these helmets like that, like, I mean, that's, well done, Tim. I mean, th- these these are just they're fire. As oh, the kids say. I, I got to give pro- proper shout out. I do. You see all the links that, where you can get these in the actual video itself over on YouTube. But I got to give a shout out to James because um, he has just done some amazing work. And to be honest with you, dude, I've seen some things done when it comes to three D printing. I've never seen stuff like this. I, I, like I said, the pictures don't do it justice. But go over to YouTube and check out our. Our uh, our newest, I guess we could say live-ish video, but check out our first unboxing. So, 
There you go, folks. I mean, now, if, if that's not reason enough to subscribe to the YouTube channel, I don't know what it is. <laughs> We're starting to put out that video content. And listen, you can see us checking out the Putsin helmet at uh, Personal Molten mm-hmm. Stadium. Breaking cards, uh, mini football helmets, mm-hmm. unboxings. I mean, listen, folks, we're just getting started as far as I'm concerned. Like, we, we want to pump out more content for you in addition to just putting the show on, on YouTube for you to listen to. Exactly. Th- this, this is just step one as far as I'm concerned. Like, this is this is part of this is part of the evolution. It's just the first will, quarter. The Flight Deck. It's just the first quarter. Just the first quarter. We got lots. We got lots of racetrack left. And folks, if I were you. And I'm not you, but if I were you, <laughs> I would uh, go ahead and uh, hit that subscribe button. There you go. Just hit it. Yeah. It may be hit it it, like the Alouettes hit the opposing quarterback. Woot, woot, baby. Yes. Uh, maybe a bye week this week for the Alouettes. But we, man, we got a great home game and a home win to talk about. Uh, we also happen to have uh, uh, Mark Olivia Brier to join us uh, for the first time in a couple of years on the podcast. And we'll be speaking with him uh, very, very shortly. Um, but. Yeah, again, we got to talk about this about this win too. But before we do, I want to remind everybody: even though it is a bye week this week, uh, you're going to stay tuned because even though bye week, oh, it is a bye week, we're still going to be giving away tickets to the next home game on September second via the Sport Buff flight crew seats. Stay tuned to all of our socials where you can uh, where you can apply to join the contest. In order to win two free seats to see the Alouettes play the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, Labor Day weekend, the kickoff, if you will, to mm-hmm. Labor Day weekend. That's right. So uh, I know the uh, Montreal-Ottawa rivalry, if you will, doesn't have quite that same cachet as it does for like Winnipeg versus Saskatchewan or the battle, battles of Alberta and Ontario, respectively. But uh, This one's starting. You know, sure, it, it, it's got to start somewhere, right? It's better than B.C., you know, and I'm meaning that we used to play BC all those years when it came to back-to-backs for Labor Day. This, with the, with the change in how the CFL is doing the schedule, uh, with less traveling and stuff like that, to me, this is a perfect fit. They were rivals a long time ago when they were the Rough Riders. Why not? So, hey, why not? Um, dude, what was better? Um, the tailgating, the weather, the result, or the refing by Al Bradbury's crew? wow i mean both had their good and bad points uh i mean the tailgating was great because it's tailgating i mean great to you know get out and see the fans and get to interact with people Mm -hmm. and you know just you know take advantage of what was for the most part a beautiful sunny day in montreal uh which leads to the weather it was uh, hot as balls. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm being a little graphic there, but I mean, it was stinking hot. <gasps> Cliff, TMI. No. <laughs> I mean, listen, sorry, I That's... just lost control. But it, it was warm as heck in there. And then you're going to cram 21,000 fans mm. in mm. to watch this football game, which again is fantastic. This is what we talked about la- like last week's show was if the Alouettes are able to draw 17,000 for a Thursday night game, I, I think easily 20,000. 20,000 is a very reasonable demand from this city and from this fan base to come out and support your team, win or lose. And thankfully, you know, based off of the fact that they they stole one in Winnipeg in overtime, they had that good mo going. They got the, the momentum. And fans, I think, were just excited. It's, you know, Saturday football. So no excuse. It's not a school night. So, yeah, may as well pack the stadium for a Saturday afternoon tilt. And sure enough, 21,000 plus showed up and that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
just going to give the stat out if you didn't see it on social media. Uh, that 21,024 announced attendance is the largest regular season crowd for the Alouettes since 22,596 back in September of 2017. Huh. It was nice to see. And it's obviously the largest post COVID crowd, but it was, it was a glorious thing to see. So, so you've, it, you've, it really you, was. Yeah. You've left out a couple of things. So a result and Al Bradbury's crew. <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it. As far as the result goals, yes. I mean, it, it was, oh my gosh, what a football game it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first three quarters, you know, it was a very tight, very defensive. And then things started to open up a little bit uh, on offense. And for the game to come down to the wire, I mean, just like, you know, a few weeks ago in Hamilton, uh, Montreal, they just kind of got themselves, they, they got it together and put together a drive to to make things happen, a couple of drives to make things happen. And Hamilton would not go away either. And Hamilton this year really has struggled to close games in the fourth quarter. Montreal too, for the most part, but Hamilton has been notorious for them that they just fall apart in the fourth quarter. And I won't say they fell apart. They just, I think it just came down to whoever had the ball last was going to win this football game. Yeah. And sure enough, Montreal had 37.6 seconds to make something happen. And, with with Trevor Harris, I mean, I, I give this guy a lot of grief, and let's face it, he's earned a lot of it too. But he manned up. He did what he had to do. He did what everybody expects a guy like Trevor Harris to do. He drove down the field. He put the Alouettes in position to score a game-winning field goal. And David Cote was it forty-eight yards away? Mm, yep, nailed it. He could have made that from sixty, I think. I mean the. He had the leg. He had every like he had everything going with him. So outstanding. So I mean like that. There's definitely positive right there. And as far as Al Bradbury looking for a positive with uh, Al Bradbury and his refereeing crew, here's your positive. The game's over. Yeah, yeah. That was it. This 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 guy. I and again, I know it's not just him. It's his entire crew. My word. I I, I some of the penalties that were called were just baffling to say the least. Yeah. They were. Uh, and, and it, 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 it's so funny just how universally disliked Al Bradbury is. And it can be just all on Bradbury. I, I will say that. I mean, he's not the one throwing every single flag, no. but he's got to own up for his crew. He's got to take the responsibility for what his crew does. And some of these penalties are just like, what the hell? Like the, 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 these were just head scratchers more than anything else. And I'll even go so far as to say ticky tack with a, a lot of them. Like, some of them are like oh, okay, fine. Like, yeah, they're, are they a penalty? Yeah, but really, like, you're gonna grind this game to a halt to call nonsense like that? Like, give me a break. Like, it's it's maddening more than anything else. Like, I, I don't know how it was watching it on TV, but I can only just imagine what it must have been like for them. And as I said, there there are people all throughout the CFL universe that just do not like it when Al Bradbury is the head referee for a football game, regardless mm-hmm. of the teams that are playing. It, it's it's incredible just how much he has united people in the CFL universe as to, you know, as soon as you hear that Al Bradbury's refing this game, you're like, oh, crap. Well, like, this you, is not going to go well. You know, you know, if Herb Zerkowski mentions, mentions it, you know, it's bad. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you something about Herb Zerkowski. I... I think it's well documented that I, you know, we do. You don't I don't see, like you him. Don't he see eye like, to eye. You don't see eye to eye. I suppose it's a fair way to put it. I mean, look, I, I, I've said my piece about him, and I know that, you know, I couldn't warm up to that guy if we were cremated together. But if there's one thing that we, you, he and I can definitely agree on is that as soon as they announce that Al Bradbury is a referee, 
we are in for a long ass day. <laughs> so yes, sir. <laughs> I, I, I suppose there is something. Like, I guess we do have that that kind of common bond uh, between Captain Sunshine and myself. But yeah. uh, I guess that's yeah. And so the positive. I, so all this to say, that the positive of the Al Bradbury writer is, is that the game is over and they, he he's not refereeing anymore. Yeah, we'll, and we'll talk about because you know Cliff and I are, are going back and forth on one of these penalties, which we want to talk about because it was still a bone of contention either way, as it because. Uh, you know, I ended up looking at the scoreboard and then seeing how many yards the Owls had, and I was looking online and stuff like that. I was like, "Really?" But you, you knew something was up. I mean, I mean, the Alouettes called for four straight, but again, their special teams called for four straight. But we'll, we'll talk about that. Alouettes win Cliff twenty nine twenty eight on on that said last second field goal by um, by David Cote. Uh, it sent the, it sent everybody into a frenzy over Purcell Molson, as we mentioned before, you know, the announced crowd of 21,024. Um, and hey, let, let me say one thing about this crowd. Yeah. They were loud. Oh, my God, yes. They were deafening. And you know what? I mentioned that to you in the stadium, and I was like, I, I was like, is, is it just because I usually, if they get to a certain pitch, sometimes your ears can hurt for something. You know, you know, they can start to hurt. That's what yeah. happened to me. At one point in the fourth quarter, my ears, they weren't ringing. They were just hurting. And I was like, this is not piped in music. This is genuine fan noise. Yeah, and for all you crybabies about the, the air horns, this, this was not all air horn noise. This was, honest to goodness, fan-made noise. Like, like screaming, cheering, whistling. Clapping hands, uh, stomping feet. Yeah, there was some cowbells in there. There's no doubt some air horn in there a little bit. But, I mean, this was mostly man-made noise and freaking loud. It's the best way to describe it. Like I said, oh, my God, we're we're about to enter the Thunderdome, especially after Reggie White Jr. scored his uh, touchdown mm-hmm. for the Alvis to take the lead in late in the fourth quarter. And how about this? He had his own cheering section. I know. Like right like the section beside us. And people were going, Reggie, Reggie, Reggie. I was so infectious, like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. This is great. Like I mean, listen, you you know, we got nothing but love for Reggie White Jr. I mean, he has earned everything that he's gotten as a member of the Montreal LOS. So for him to get his own, you know, cheering section, yeah. That, that's great. Yeah. I mean, why why if you're gonna find someone to cheer for? You could do far worse than uh, old Reg there. I mean, and listen, the guy's a baller, so he definitely deserves all the accolades, all the all the flowers for sure. So, yeah, it was, it, and just started from there. And just the fact that it, you know, as Hamilton took the field, it just, as I said, it turned into the Thunderdome. It got loud. Yeah, it really and just, did. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a late arriving crowd too, by the way. Uh, well, be- that's that, that that's Montreal for you. I mean, there's always something. Uh, well, going on, so. I, I I got a feeling because it was a, a gorgeous Saturday afternoon, even though it was hot as balls. To quote Cliffy D, um, it, it was just I think people just had forgotten what it's like to get into Percival Molson when there are a lot of people in the stadium. Yeah, and yeah, there's a yeah because we still had people coming in the second quarter. Oh yeah, so but that's it. Like I mean, you can usually tell when a like a crowd is papered and. To me, like I, I honestly like maybe this is just naiv- naivety on my part or just wishful thinking, but I really got the impression like this is as close to like a fully paid audience as the Alouettes have had in recent years, mm-hmm. and that's great. I think just building off that momentum of that huge win out in Winnipeg versus the Bombers, and now the you know couple that with a beautiful sunny Saturday afternoon, you know. Like you don't have school the next day, you don't have work the next day typically. So yeah, why wouldn't you come out to the ballpark and uh, 
have some fun. And again, the game finished early enough that you could still go out and hit the town if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, and enjoy the rest of your summer evening. I mean, it was, as far as I was concerned, it was the perfect storm for Yellowwets to have one of their biggest, if not the biggest crowd they've had in recent memory. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Trevor Harris was uh, 24 of 31 for 382 yards. Uh, I think that's his most with the Alouettes since he's been here. Uh, it's his uh, second most, I think, in the last two years when he was when he was with Edmonton. Um, but only a, a, one interception at the very beginning of the game, which did cost the Alouettes uh, at least three points. And but he did have three touchdowns. Um, rushing wise, I'm still on the fence about this. Uh, Walter Fletcher had mo- it seemed to have most of it. I mean, he got six carries for 28 yards. But other than that, between uh, the others, you know, Jeshwan Antwi, Trevor Harris, and Dominic Davis, it also was six carries, but for 15 yards. But it was just, you know, again, 382 yards passing. You know, Harris m- m- well made up for what we what lacked in the in the rushing game. But that that needs to improve by leaps and bounds, in my opinion. Um, Eugene Lewis almost broke the the hundred yard bear the hundred yard mark this week. Seven receptions on ten targets for 99 yards. A touchdown and a two-point conversion. You just mentioned mm-hmm. that touchdown by Reggie White. 81 yards. Uh, KJG, uh, Kalen Julian Grant, uh, by the way, got official word from KJG after the uh, on the uh, post game on the field that, yes, we can call him KJG. So I'm happy about that. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he had a touchdown, and that was a glorious touchdown itself, too. So it's... He went to um, eight different receivers, eight different receivers. So, and it just wasn't, you know, just sure Eugene got most of the targets, but still everybody stepped up. Oh, 100%. It was definitely a team effort and all on all facets of the football as well. Uh, I mean, you're talking about offense, defense, special teams, like everybody I felt stepped up and made the case. And again, with the, a crowd this huge supporting you and backing you and, and that like how, how how do you not want to play your best possible football? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the Alouettes did was they they got it together. Yes, they had some moments, they had some lulls here and there. Every you know it, it, that's normal, but I mean the Alouettes more or less stuck to the same plan that, that's worked over the past couple of weeks is just you know you you don't have to blow the doors off of the guy uh, off your opponents right away, but you got to stay with them. You got to hang, and I think that's the key with the Alouettes now is they've got to be able to hang with their opponent regardless of who it is, whether it's a top tier opponent like the Blue Bombers or I, I'd say a, a contemporary equal like the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I mean, you got to be able to hang and then just at the right moment, just like like in a, a horse race, like that last quarter mile, you, that's when you turn on the afterburners and you just you, you just inch ahead and you find mm-hmm. a way to win. And that's exactly what the Alouettes did like the past two weeks. I think that would be the best way to describe how they've gotten their two victories. And dare I say it, Tim? Yes. The Alouettes are on a winning streak. Yes, sir. Yeah, they broke. They broke their season-long uh, series of uh, one win, two losses. Finally, finally, uh, that streak was getting a little tiresome. You know, the Al- uh, if it were flipped around, okay, I'd be happy with it. But still, it it, it, can, it was it can be a little frustrating for Alouettes fans. By the way, question I wanted to ask you, Cliff, especially with the uh, with the fireworks that occurred at the end of the game, how would you rate this game and this comeback? Because we had how many seconds on the clock when we first got the ball in the fourth quarter? It was it 37? 30, 37.6. Okay. I, I made personal note because I said, like, this is this is where you 
nut up or shut up. <laughs> I like that too. It's good. Uh, how that's, would, that's, that's really what it comes down to is yeah. like, like, you know, you, you keep telling us Trevor Harris is this great quarterback. He's this great leader. And this team is so talented and everything like that. And fine. It's all well and good to say that, but it's one thing to say it. And it's another thing to do it. And again, I will give Trevor Harris all the credit yeah. as far as being able to move the ball downfield and give the Alouettes a chance to win this game. Mm-hmm. And really, truly what it comes down to is these are the these are the things you have to do. You don't have to score the game-winning touchdown. It, he, he didn't have to worry about that. All he had to do was get the Alouettes close enough for David Cote to do his thing. Yep. And ladies and gentlemen, for the love of God, put some damn respect on David Cote's name because he did the thing. He did the thing. I will admit. Um, I, I, and like cold as ice, as as far as like not in a bad way. Like he, yeah, he yeah, yeah. like he wasn't unnerved by the situation because again, it's especially with all those fa- like you know twenty thousand, twenty one thousand fans. Everybody is just on the edge of their seat. Just just make the kick, make the kick. And so is he, he nailed? Is it. he foreigner cold as ice? I would say he's foreigner cold as oh, ice. Oh yes, he was yes. willing to sacrifice his love. <laughs> <laughs> there you nice <laughs> but he did the thing so david david if you're li- you're listening man like i said well done yeah well done you you did the thing you sent everybody home happy kudos i mean there, there's nothing else to say but kudos yeah. and to the alouettes themselves too because For- it really was a team effort to get down the field to give kote the chance to do his thing and yeah. They did it. So hats off to this entire organization for being able to make it the most exciting, nail-biting right. 37.6 seconds of your life. And that's where I was going with it. How would you rate this versus the 48 seconds left with the Tanner Marsh uh, drive to win the game in the infamous rain game back in 2013 versus BC? Wow. Where does it rank as an Alowitz fan? And I don't know how many of you remember the game itself, but it the Alowitz recently— promoted it uh, back in April this year, actually, on their YouTube page, where they were promoting this game. How would you rank those two games? Are they equal to each other, or in your opinion? Because there there were a lot more crazy stuff happening in that that game. It just seemed... In the rain. In the the 2013 game. I will admit that the the game on, on Saturday, no sense of urgency, which is good. Even with 37 seconds left, as you said... Under, it, you know, it, Trevor Harris just did what he needed to do. There are a few other things, you know, at that time, you know, Tanner Marsh, backup quarterback, the rain, the turf was wet. Where would you, I mean, as he, I said, where, where, where would you rank it? I think for me, the, the game with Tanner Marsh, the rain game, I think that was more of a holy shit moment when it came down to how he played and how he put the Alouettes with, I think it was nine seconds left on the clock. Something like that. Yeah. With uh, when he completed that pass to Eric Delorier mm-hmm. to get again, once again into field goal range to win the game, I think there was more that like, like I think people expected the Alouettes to win. People wanted the Alouettes, and just the environment was completely different. So uh, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to compare both games. I I kind of feel like it's apples and oranges just a little bit. I mean, this game, this past Saturday's game was like drama, like big time drama, big time excitement. And you could, I'm, I have, I, I, again, I don't know how it, was, it came across on TV, but right, in right. the stadium itself, I mean, everybody was emotionally invested. Nobody was oh, trying yes. to beat the traffic. Nobody was looking to duck out because, oh, this game is finished. Like, no, no. You, <laughs> there was, there was none of that. Like, people were going to stick around till the clock read zero, zero, mm-hmm. zero. There, right. Whereas the, the, in the Tanner Marsh game, like, 
I, I think it was just like, okay, we, we didn't expect the Alouettes to win. And holy cow, they managed to pull it off. Like, like just through, I don't want to say dumb luck. It, it wasn't dumb luck. I mean, Tanner did exactly what he needed to do to make that happen. And they, they got the W. So it was always great too. But I mean, it was just one of those incredible moments in time. And maybe give this game, give this five, ten years, maybe we'll be saying the same thing about this particular game. It's so the, hard to say, so the Whitney Houston one moment in time? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. But, <laughs> <laughs> Damn. but again, and also too, especially too, if the Alouettes go on a run all of a sudden yeah, and somehow yeah. they end up making the playoffs and going as far, however far they go in the playoffs, maybe this game is that turning point. Maybe people will look back at this particular game and say, this was the moment where the Alouettes stopped acting like, you know, pretenders and prove that they were contenders. Well, it, this this next will be a total of 51 days at home before the next road game is huge for the Alouettes. I mean, that in, that in itself. 51, yeah. day, 51 days at home. And uh, even talking with the players after the game, like you, you mentioned this to them, and they talked about the importance of defending the nest. Yeah. And that's something that it, it makes me feel happy to hear as a supporter of this team to know that they realize how important it is like to play in front of your team and play in front of your hometown fans. And again, to use the term defend the nest, like it's that mindset that mm-hmm. this is our house. You're not going to come in here and tell us what to do. We run this. And you that's the exact mindset you want your football team to have mm-hmm. is to have that pride, to have that ownership, to be able to say, yes, you're, if you're if you're going to try and win in our house, good luck. You're going to need everything, yeah. and that's that's what I love to hear from these guys. Well, uh, obviously, this was the, also the return home. Should we call him the prodigal son? Can we call Matt Schiltz the prodigal son? Um, yes, Schiltzy did an an amazing. I'm glad you know we said we saw him after the game. Um, obviously, we're going to congratulate the dude because you know Schiltz, friend of the pod. Um, he, he is such an, a nice guy. Uh, on and off the field so it's just to see him do as well as he did um it it mean it could easily mean very good things for matt schiltz for the future 100 and if anyone deserves that opportunity and I, I'm, I'm so happy for him that he's had that opportunity i mean yes it's coming at the expense of dane evans not playing all that great and then mm-hmm. getting hurt mm-hmm. so i mean like but again that's the reason why he went to hamilton like he wanted to prove like hey listen i've been a starter in this league i can win football games for a team I want that opportunity to do so. And for whatever reason, I guess he didn't think he had that opportunity in Montreal. So that's why he had to go elsewhere. It's unfortunate because I, like like I said, he's a, he's a friend of the show. He's someone that we've come to know over the past few years. And we just want all the, we we want him to be successful. Maybe not necessarily against the Alouettes, but we want him (laughs) to be successful no matter what. Yeah. And he can, he can hold his head up high and say, you know what? I played a hell of a game in my former home. And he really did. He really did everything. Like the, the Tiger Cats did not lose because of Matthew Schiltz. I can tell you that right now. It really just came down to whoever had the ball last was going to win this football game. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, it was the Alouettes. So yeah. Schiltz has nothing to be ashamed of. I, I, I sincerely hope that Tiger Cat fans, they get behind this guy. They show him, hey, we got your back. We know you're doing it for us. Uh, you know. Like I said, I, I want Chelsea to have all of the success. For sure. Just just not against Montreal. Sure, that's sure. all. Yeah. I don't uh, think that's too much to ask, really, when no, you think no, about no. it. 
Let's talk about the negative here. I think it leads into uh, a potential rant or comments about the... So we'll happen to bring up the Al Bradbury effect uh, and his crew. Um, sounds like a good name for a band. Uh, <laughs> the Al Bradbury effect? Yeah, the Al Bradbury effect. Um, Alouettes, um, yeah, we, they, we keep hoping that they would get better. Penalties, uh, it just seems to be that the penalties are just continuously being a killer for the uh, these Owls. 13 of them this past week for 176 yards. And if I did my math correctly here, Cliff, the special teams, which had been amazing all year, all year, had, I think it was eight penalties for 102 yards, including four straight penalties at the end of the third quarter, which led... Two because of a uh, because of a roughing the kicker led to a touchdown by Hamilton. Um, yeah, it's it, it's getting bad, dude. I mean, I was I was wanting. Remember a couple of weeks ago when they had they had their third or fourth most uh, penalty yards in team history. You know, they were always winning these games. This is one of those games, but I mean, it was much better for Hamilton, mind you, ten for one twenty five. But but still. Yes, the penalties show that they were called on the that they are on the Owls, but Al Bradbury effect, in our opinion as fans, and even after watching some of the, some of them on television, uh, yeah, we weren't too convinced. But still, Cliff, thoughts on this is one of the monkeys that is, we just can't seem to get rid of and get them off our back. We really can't, and and it's funny because the first thing that happens as soon as you start racking up all those penalties. Everybody comes back to, oh boy, where's all that discipline that was uh, supposed to be coming back as far as uh, you know, getting rid of Kahari Jones as head coach? And I'm sorry, but Danny Machocha does have to kind of answer for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like, you know, like it's it's very hard to say that you know discipline was the issue when it's still the issue, and it's not like your first game. Like you've now got what four or five games under your belt as head coach of the Alouettes, and these penalties. And discipline issues are still persistent. I, I mean, at this point, you just kind of, as a as, as a Alouettes fan, you, you almost just gotta kind of shrug your shoulders and say, "Oh, the hell with it." Just you know, just try not to lose the game at this point. I Which, mean, it's yeah, I know, I know, but it, 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 it's it's frustrating though. It is very frustrating because there is no answer for that. Like there, there's, you know, other than you know, start benching players every time they they make a mistake. I mean, like, which can you really afford to do that? No, I don't think so. No, you really, it, it, it's, it's so tough. It really is tough because you know, like every time you see the, the flags go up, I mean, Lord knows CFL games have more than their fair share of penalties called, but Oh my God. Like some of these penalties are just egregious. Mm-hmm. Some of them are deserved. Mm-hmm. Some of them, like I said, there was quite a few ticky tack calls like these, these roughing the kicker calls. I, I kind of, I'll be honest with you. I, I felt they were kind of on the limit. And I think the first one was pretty good. By the way, we if I remember if I, if I did the stats and the research correctly, I think we had our first because this used to be a huge issue with the Alouettes. They had their I think they had their first no yards penalty this year on special teams. I think it was their first, and that's uh, damn good considering with the change in change in the rules for just this season. Yeah, and again, all the credit to that has to go to Byron Archambault, mm-hmm. the special teams coach for the Alouettes, because yeah. for the most part, he's done a very good job of getting his guys in line, making sure that they don't cost games because of stupid penalties, especially when it comes to special teams. It's so easy, so easy, especially when no yards. I mean, it's just one of those things that sometimes it's unavoidable, but 
there are times too where you kind of look like, oh, okay. This yeah, one was kind but, of unavoidable, unavoidable uh, I will admit. But going back to what you were saying before, uh, I think the Alouettes, did they have three roughing pen- uh, three roughing penalties or was it two? I'm, like, uh, I'm trying to double check here. Um, yeah. I think it was three. Right here, roughing the kicker in the third. Oh, look at that. Roughing. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of a pattern there, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah, just a, and in in my opinion, I I think the first one was fine. I really think that the, the second one was uh, uh, Hamilton kickers was, was going for an Oscar. I really do. It was a bit of a sell job, and even talking with uh, Brian Harlemana, who was the unfortunate recipient of that penalty, I said, "Dude, like, is it me? Like, what is this something I'm not seeing properly? Because I mean, I've had a fairly good vantage point, and like, you were close, but not close enough." And he confirmed, like, "Yeah, I think the Hamilton kicker is, you know." As you said, going for the Oscar, and mm-hmm. you may as well give it to him at this point because, yeah, good sell job, buddy. I mean that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, referees are going to call that kind of stuff. So I mean, you almost got to. I mean, how, how, how does one prepare for something like that? How do you you're like? Okay, I want to try and knock the ball because you know you're trying to make that play too. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to block the kick, but at the same time, you don't want to run into the kicker inadvertently or not. No, but. I I agree. And obviously the the one that we wanted to talk about specifically too that we were talking about pre pregame uh was the horse collar tackle uh with 121 <laughs> left in the fourth which was deadly. Yes, it led to points because I think at the time it was was this was this the thing at the time where it was fourth and a uh, third and 18 or third and 28. Was it third and twenty-eight on that one? I think that yeah, was about. Was that the one? And then it basically gave them an extra thirteen yards because it was, you know, at an automatic first down. An automatic yeah. first down. I think that's what it was. Yeah, Schultz had been sacked. Oh, second time the Schultz had the ball go over his head. Yeah. So, I know you wanted to talk about the, that horse collar tackle penalty. Uh, I, I take umbrage with the fact that it was called a horse collar tackle when Nick Usher did not even tackle Matthew Schultz. I mean, were his hands up a little high? Sure, you could probably make that argument. But how, how do you call horse collar tackle when you don't tackle the guy? I mean, this it's, is... well, it's just called a horse collar tackle. I get that. Um, no, but but what I'm saying though is like, okay, I understand where his hands were, but at the same time, like, like he, Usher slid off him for Christ's sake. I mean, how, how is that a tackle? What in what universe is that a tackle? Like, no, I mean, if you're gonna call a penalty for say unnecessary roughness or anything like that, or, you know, clotheslining. I don't think that's a penalty, but I mean, whatever made a penalty you want to do to try and extend this game and make everybody miserable. I mean, which is clearly was Bradbury's intent had to be, <laughs> but this was not a tackle. There were conspiracy theories going around, dude. There was conspiracy theories going ramp, running rampant in that stadium. When that, I have when no, that was called. And let's, let's not forget that was pretty much the apex of the crowd noise when it came to like, all three of those downs. Yeah, because like, we thought we, yeah, we thought it was a turnover on downs. Right. Um, but again, it was just that crescendo. It just kept going higher and higher. Like the, the noise truly was deafening. Mm-hmm. And I, then something like that happens. And your first instinct is be pissed off at the defender because you idiot. You just cost this team. You just gave this team new life. But at the same time, like you look at the penalty. I'm like, how do you call that? Well, I'm That's go- not a tackle. Okay, I, I get that. And it just happens to be called a horse collar tackle. I don't know whatever penalty that they could call. To be fair, and I, and I know both of us have watched the, the replay. I actually think it was a, after seeing it, I think it was a legit call. 
And this is where the strange part occurs. Yes, it's not a normal horse collar as you and I, as we know as football fans, right? But, mm. and we've seen it being called before in the CFL, I think in any, and it would be called, I think, in any league. He, ha- he was able to grasp inside the collar. Once the fingers were inside the collar, it was going to be called. And they did. Now, I said, you may have seen it differently, but in my opinion, I think he had it. I looked at it three or four times. He had his fingers inside the collar, even though his fingers slipped off. His hand slipped off of his uniform. And I guess to me, like, to me, like. Penalties, penalties I, have been called for not, less, dude. You and I both know this. You're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong there. But again, I can't, I just can't look at that play. And I, I, too, have seen it numerous times. And I can't in good conscience call that a horse collar tackle. And neither should the referee. Was it high? Absolutely. I don't know what you could have called in its place. Uh, I don't think it impeded the play in any way, other than no. the fact that uh, they would have needed a buttload of yards just to get a first down. And Usher didn't and, make the tackle anyways. So how can if you can't, if you don't make the tackle, how can you call it a horse collar tackle? This is this is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I know get, it's semantics, but I get it, dude. I get it. It's, I get it's it. Ridiculous. Like I think maybe I don't know, maybe maybe Bradbury had Schiltz in his fantasy pool. I don't know, but. <laughs> Who, who the hell knows? But it, it, it's, it was ridiculous. Like, especially you're trying to take the wind out of this crowd, too. Like, especially the, the fact that this crowd produced such a raucous atmosphere. And now you're you're basically pissing all over them when, when you do stuff mm-hmm. like that. Oh, everybody so booed, dumb. too. Everybody thought it was the same thing. But you know what? I, I did, too. I thought it was a, I thought it was a, a piss poor call. Again, after saying, you know, sometimes sometimes your opinion changes once you've seen it. And you know. You know, there are a couple of them there that we are questioning. I think one, uh, Danny, Danny Mac challenged, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, one thing, by the way, that I found that is interesting. There was another penalty. I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't it wasn't the fourth quarter, I think, where it was a penalty, a major penalty against Montreal. So maybe it was that one. I think it was that it would have to be that one. And Danny Mac decided not to challenge because it helped us with having that timeout. That gave us those 37 seconds because it's very possible if we had lost that timeout, we wouldn't have had 37 seconds left. It's true. It's true because, believe me, Hamilton would have done everything they could to bleed the clock. And again, that's smart football right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's. It, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. I think I, I think we'll have to because, yeah, yeah like I said, I mean, like, I, I, if you're going strictly by the letter of the law, then yes, it was a horse call tackle. I'm just saying. Look at things realistically, and I, I want to believe. Like I, I don't know what kind of review process the CFL referees have with the head of officiating, as far as going back and looking at these things. Like I'm pretty sure that you have to kind of look back and say, okay, you know what? This was this the right call? Was this should this even have been called? I mean, the fact that the guy didn't make the tackle. I mean, that's you know, like to me, I'd be reviewing that more than anything else. I mean, for the most part, all you want is a fairly called game. I know. And, I want to believe for the most part that the referees do the best they can. It's obviously not an easy job, but I mean, some of these were just like, you're kind of reaching with some of these penalties as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. And you know, yeah, uh, maybe was it by design? Who knows? I mean, only the referees could truly tell us that, but exactly. again, referees don't win or lose football games, no. but my God, do they ever want to be the stars of the show at times? And I wonder if I can't help but wonder if maybe that's really what it was. Right. It's the fact that, you got this game. Everybody's tuned in. Everybody's interested. Uh, I'd love to see the TV numbers for this game. I one thing that was one thing I forgot. Yeah, to they're not out yet. Out. As far as I, I don't think they're out yet. But because yeah. I want to know how many, I want to know how many people who were 
belly aching about the fact that you know the, the air horns kind of ruined the game for them the last time and said that they'll never watch a game when you know coming from Montreal again because of all that. Like I'd be curious to know because everything that I heard, yeah, you can hear the occasional horn, but for the most part, you heard the crowd and the the crowd making actual noise properly. That's got to be saluted, and I really hope that people understand and realize that. Yeah, no, that I, were not just the air horn crowd. No, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think they were there. By the way, I saw them pregame. They actually had cowbells. So it doesn't love good cowbell. <laughs> um, but either way, in the end, dude, the Alouettes get, ended up getting the win. Uh, with the win, they move to four and six on the season. They are tied with points versus the uh, uh, against the with the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, even though we're t- Toronto having a game in hand and also having a uh, having a win in hand over the, within the series against the Alouettes, but that could easily change over the next couple of weeks. Um, so again, yeah, currently then with Hamilton three and seven. Um, so uh, I mean, obviously, great game, great great atmosphere. Uh, we felt with a bye week this week, you know, no better way to talk with a gentleman who is in stadium for every Alouette's home and away game. Um, longtime friend of, of the pod itself, uh, Mark Olivier Poirier. So Cliff, let's go ahead and let's uh, chat with him. And then when we get back, uh, we will have a little bit of news before we finish up the show. And with us for the first time in three years. So he's had three years of experience to tell us uh, all about being the uh, the color commentator for uh, your English language radio station for the Montreal Alouettes. Mark Olivier Brulet. Hey, Marco. How are you, buddy? I'm very well. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Are you like every other Alouettes fan and Alouettes player enjoying your week off? Listen, it's given me an opportunity to reconnect with my wife and kids. I, I was afraid she might leave me and pack up and come <laughs> home to, to an empty home after one of the games. So great opportunity for me to recharge my batteries, save my family, and get ready for the last couple of games of the season coming up. <laughs> Good, because it would have been awkward for you to have to move into one of those, like the, like the broadcast booth and set up shop there. I think Campbell wouldn't have uh, allowed that to happen. Well, you know what? The housing that they use for some of the guys is actually in the building connected to my office building. So I actually see a lot of them in the mornings or in the afternoon uh, when they're walking back to their places. So maybe I could get the Alouette discount and move into one of those studio apartments. I mean, it'll be right next to my office. So it'll make... Uh, It'll make commuting pretty easy. I, I don't think you really want. We we don't want you to have to displace uh, Herb either in the in the broadcast booth. So I, I don't know if he has a bed set there or not. But Herb's there enough that you might have to. I tell you what, though, I think I'm close enough with Herb to the point where if I needed a place to stay, he'd open up his home for me. Maybe not an actual bedroom. He'd probably <laughs> stick me in the garage or something. But I, you know, I think I think Herb would be open to. They're giving me a room to put over my head for a couple of nights if I need one. That's cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath, but that's me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, I'll borrow some of that apartment's money of his. I know that he's been hanging on to for the past 50 years. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um, as I mentioned at the top, you've, you've had, you know, the last time we talked to you was right after you got your gig with the SN690 to be the color commentator for the Alouettes. Um, how has your newest career since then gone? I mean, what have you learned? What are things that you thought you knew as a player that you completely know about now versus what, what it was back in, uh, when we last talked to you in 2019? 
Yeah, you, you know what? I think it's given me an opportunity to appreciate more of all three phases uh, of the football game. You know, when you're playing, obviously, you have your responsibility as a player. You have your keys. You have the stuff that you're watching on tape. Uh, but when you don't necessarily have a, a vested interest or you don't have necessarily a, a role as far as the, the game player or actually playing on the field, uh, you know, it, it gives you an opportunity to zoom out and watch the game with a bigger lens and, and see what's going on on offense and see what's going on on defense and all the special teams and stuff like that. So I've really learned to appreciate the game even more uh, and also kind of get a feel for it, you know, uh, it's a different feeling. We spoke about crowd energy, you know, off air just before, but when you're on the field, you feel it, but you see it from a whole different perspective up in the booths as well, uh, as well as doing that on the road, not only at Percival Molson Stadium, but as well as when we go into other stadiums and, and we see other fans cheering for other teams. So I think it's really been my, my perspective. It's really given me an opportunity to appreciate the game uh, as a fan, uh, first and foremost, uh, but mostly as a fan of the Alouettes. You know, obviously we, we are very biased uh, to, towards the Alouettes. Uh, you know, I, I was a fan when I was playing for them. I, I've been a fan since uh, uh, well, before I played for them, after I played for them. So it, it's a great perspective to have up in the booth. Do you find that, you know, like, Regular fans can be Monday morning quarterbacks, say anything and everything, whether it's positive or negative. But did you find yourself turning into a Monday morning quarterback, even though you are part of the broadcast team? Absolutely. You know, it's an opportunity for me to to comment or or criticize uh, on decisions that are made either by a player uh, or by a coach, a coach or the coaching staff, or even front office if they're making roster moves uh, or things like that. Uh, but but that's okay, you know that, that that's part of it, and you need to be able to call it how you see it. And and sometimes you have a diff- different perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to share that with the audience as well, you know. And sometimes I'll watch the game. And then I'll watch the replay and I'll read the different articles and I'll say, you know, maybe this person saw it different than I did uh, in the heat of the moment. And it gives me an opportunity to perhaps even change my opinion on something or, or change my perspective. Uh, and then, you know, when I have a, a radio hit later in the week or going into the following game, uh, it allows me to prepare for that as well. So yeah. it's... Uh, it's a process and it's ever evolving and, but take, you know, I enjoy it and I love it. And I'm, you know, passionate about the CFL, I'm passionate about the Alouettes. And this is a great opportunity for me to share that passion with other people. How was your, uh, your repertoire or how, how, how well did you and Sean Campbell get to, you know, you got together back then, obviously, but I mean, how, how well is your on air relationship gotten with Sean Campbell? You know, it, it, it was it was a seamless transition when I when I started in 2019. Uh, I was up in the booth with Rick Moffitt, and obviously, you know, Rick has a wealth of experience. Mm-hmm. He's a, a true pro's pro, and I just kind of, you know, followed it followed his lead and tried to to not take up too much space uh, because I was new to the game as well. So I was trying to figure out, you know, well, where do I fit in in this? Where where's my opportunity to get a word in? 
And as I got to work with Rick, I think, you know, we developed a really good rapport. And then obviously the 2020 season's canceled. Uh, we come back in 2021. Now, now Campbell's in, in the booth with me. Uh, so, you know, even though I like to consider myself the, the veteran uh, of that broadcast duo, <laughs> considering I had a year more than him, uh, he's obviously been in the business way longer than me. I mean, anybody who's listened any of the shows that he's been involved with on TSN 690 and his new uh, show with Campbell versus Gallo knows that, I mean, he, he's a tremendous talent. And so it's just a matter of figuring each other out up in the booth. Um, but I think we, we adapted very quickly and make for a very good team. Uh, and we kind of just feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some people may think that, you know, we spend a lot of time pre-game talking about the stuff we you know, we're going to discuss during the broadcast or whatever the case may be, but that's really not what it is. He does his preparation. I do mine. And I think it makes for a much more natural flow. You know, I appreciate that. I don't necessarily know uh, the topics or the questions that he's going to be teeing up in, in pregame or, or postgame or whatever the case may be, um, because it makes it more natural and an honest exchange and conversation between the two of us, which I think is a much more pleasant experience for the listener. I, I just thought, too, that uh, obviously I can't do it in stadium, but uh, usually watching stuff on, on television, if I'm able to, uh, fe- if I were able to feed you a stat that came about, I would do so if I could, man, so you could get it out to the masses immediately. Yeah, and, you know, luckily with technology, we can pull up a lot of stuff uh, at our fingertips, especially when, you know, you've got an injury and you've got a lesser known guy on the deck chart. Now you've done a little bit of research beforehand, but all of a sudden, Hey, you know, that, that might be that guy's coming out moment. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously the fans want to know more about him. And you pull up his, you know, NFL draft scout profile, you pull up his Wikipedia, you get those college stats out to try and uh, not only learn for yourself, but share some of that with the fans who perhaps are listening in their car and don't necessarily have access, you know, uh, to, to the graphics that TSN is putting up on TV or anything like that. So, oh yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's an interesting process, but uh, you know, hey, it's part of it. It's kind of like football; you need to be able to adjust on the fly, adjust on your feet, and think fast. Oh, for sure. And uh, one last thing, I'll, I, then I'll actually let Cliff get a word in edgewise here. Um, <laughs> you, you talk about that. What What was one of the uh, uh, give us just that example, uh, something that you had to change on the fly for for information that either happened on the field or something that, that was fed into your ear during, during the game. Yeah, you know, most recently, um, I, I would probably say, you know, when Chandler Worthy started going off as the Owls returner, I mean, I knew a bit about him. You know, he'd been around in the league for a little while and I played against him, as a matter of fact, when, when he was a receiver uh, in Toronto. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's in an Owls uniform, he bursts onto the scene, and you're like, is he really this home run hitting uh, returner? Now I got to go back and I got to take a look at, at what he's done in the past. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, you know, that he's been a dynamic returner. His whole career, I mean, he played a he played at Troy. He was friends. I remember Bear Woods telling me about this guy, and then you start picking up these memories, start googling really quick. But before that, you know, Chandler Returner was just uh, Chandler Worthy was just another returner uh, on a piece of paper that had bounced around the CFL a little bit. But now, 
after what he's done on the field so far over the past couple of games. Uh, obviously, I, I've done quite a bit more background research on him. Yeah. Cliff. All right. All right, Marco, let's talk about these 2022 Alouettes. Uh, I got to say, like we're pretty much at the halfway point now, and I still can't really truly make heads or tails out of them. What do you think – how would you describe this Montreal Alouettes team as it sits right now? I think they are a good, not great football team uh, that have a few flaws, but if they can correct, they can take that next step and become a very good football team. And, and, and what I'm talking about, I mean, the glaring problem is the penalty. You know, it, they got away with one against Hamilton. Uh, you know, I think it was off the top of my head, 13 penalties for 175 yards. I think the only reason that they gave themselves a chance to, to keep that game close was the fact that Hamilton also had 10 penalties, uh, and I think it was about 120 uh, yards in penalties. But, you know, unless you're a team uh, that can put up 42 points, for example, on any night and, and you're just blowing teams out, you can't afford to give up three yards like that. You can't afford uh, to make selfish mistakes like that and be undisciplined. They're not. They're not good enough to win close football games if they can't uh, keep that under control. The other issue that I think they had was closing out football games. I mean, you go back to the first game against Winnipeg. They go head to head with them for three quarters against the best team in the CFL. They keep it tight. And then the wheels fall off in the fourth. A couple of weeks before that, they go into the fourth quarter with a two-score, I think it was a two-touchdown lead against Ottawa. And had it not been for Darvin Adams dropping the ball in the end zone, that game's probably going to overtime, or Paul Apolise is going for two, and the Red Blacks win that football game. So they have a lot of issues uh, with finishing and closing out games and finding a way to win. And then, you know, they... They seem to be on the right track. The second game against Winnipeg in uh, at IG Field, uh, another hard battle. They had some bounces go their way, but they were competitive for four quarters and gave themselves a chance to win. So you start thinking, well, hey, maybe did they fix this problem? Then they come back last week against Hamilton, play them tight for most of the game, keep it competitive in the fourth quarter, and pull out a win. So hopefully this is a good sign of things to come for the Alouette they can fix the penalties and continue uh, on this streak of being competitive in the fourth quarter and closing out football games, I think they have potential to make some noise in the second half of this season uh, and place themselves somewhere in the East where hopefully they will be able to host uh, a playoff game in the first round. Well, all they got to do is be either in first or second place, and they're guaranteed a home playoff game. So there's there's that going for them. (laughs) Yeah, and, and you know what? I think these next couple of games, including uh, this past week's game against Hamilton, uh, are, are really going to shape you know the Alouette season. I mean, you have three more home games. You're going to play against the BC Lions, uh, who are going to be you know without uh, the leading candidate for MOP this year. Uh, unfortunately, Nathan Rourke uh, is going to be out for a couple of weeks with that. Liz Frank injury to to his foot, but you know that's a great opportunity at home uh, to win against a good football team. And then after that, you're playing some East opponents, and those are very important games. You need to be able to rack up points 
uh, in the East and, and make some ground in the standings. Now, you know, had they lost that game to Hamilton, it would have been quite an uphill battle because it's a three-game series this season. Had they gone 0-2 in the first, you know, I don't see how, or I, I even think it'd be very likely that they could finish ahead of Hamilton uh, by the end of the year. But now that they, they've split the series, that'll be the third and deciding game. Same thing with the Argos. They've got two games left against them. They dropped the first one. I think they're going to have to win the next two if they want an opportunity to finish first. In the Speaking of home, just real quickly, uh, the Alouettes, since it will, by the time that they play their next road game, Marco, It'll have been 51 days at home for a, for a, you know, for a veteran like yourself who played with the Owls and was a player. How important is it for this team to take it first to be at home for so long? How important is that for the players? And as you said before, how important is it to just they need to win? I would say, in my opinion, the next three or four to really have a chance in the Eastern Division. Yeah, you know, I. I'll start with the second question. I agree with you. I think if they win three of those four, uh, they'll they'll be in good position, you know, going into that last quarter of the season. And if they're going to lose one, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be the BC game because the last thing you want to do is have an East team uh, gaining ground on you. Now, as far as what you just mentioned, them being at home for so long, I mean, you know, that's a tremendous advantage for them, even just as a player the comfort level and routine that you have when you're playing at home, you're not traveling, you're sleeping in your bed, you know exactly what's waiting for you when you show up to the stadium. You know, some of these guys, they've never played in Winnipeg. Uh, some of these younger guys, they've never played in Saskatchewan. So they go over there and it's brand new. And it's these little distractions uh, that put all together can have the potential to become a big distraction can take you off your game. But with them being in town, in Montreal, in their facility, I think it'll bring a sense of, of calm uh, and security to these guys. And like I mentioned, and you mentioned, this is a great opportunity for them to make some headway in the East uh, and really get hot towards the end of the season. And who knows, maybe, you know, when those fall months roll around, we'll see some guys come back from injury thinking, mostly of William Stanback. I mean, that would be huge if they could get him back for uh, for the stretch run here because obviously the ground game's been struggling ever since he went down in week one against Calgary. Uh, talk to me about Anthony Calvillo as a play caller. Uh, you've obviously teammates with him. You've won a great cup with him. Uh, well, what's your honest assessment of Anthony Calvillo as a play caller in 2022? You know... I- I think he got off to a slow start. Uh, I think there was a lot of pressure on him taking over after Kahari left uh, and him really being, you know, the head guy in charge as far as play calling. And I think he had to figure himself out. He had to figure his personnel out as well. But I think we've seen a lot of improvement. I mean, even just in the red zone, early on in the season, the Alouettes, they were having success moving the football down the field, but it almost seemed as though any time, you know, they sniffed the red zone, they just completely fell apart and had to settle for field goals. Now we're seeing a lot more touchdowns, um, you know, which shows improvement. Now I think for a little while, the Alouette offense did get in a rut where 
and I mean a rut in the sense that there was really only one thing working, and that was throwing the football uh, to Eugene Lewis. Uh, and it didn't take very long for teams to figure out that if we just put two guys on uh, on Gino uh, and dare you to beat us elsewhere, you know, you're going to have a tough time. And that's what the Ticats did this past week. But the Alouettes were able to find the way to spread the ball around, get some of their other offensive guys, uh, involved, and at the end of the day, you know, Eugene Lewis still made some plays. I mean, he's just that good of a player. You can't uh, eliminate him. You can try and slow him down. Uh, but I do like the progress that we've seen over the past couple of weeks in that, you know, it's not only Geno Lewis-centered anymore. The ball is going around. We saw Jake Winicky have the best game of his season uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and something that I was impressed with as well is that, you know, despite the struggles that they've had for, uh, running the football, I'm glad that they haven't given up on it. Now, they're not you know, running the ball 20 times a game, but for a, couple, for a little while there when Calvillo first took over, I mean, you look at the stats and you get some games where, you know, the tailbacks combined had maybe four or five carries at the most. Now they're more in that, you know, 10 to 13 range as far as carries are concerned. Uh, and I like that. You know, it, it, they need to keep plugging away at it. They need to figure it out. They need to be able to get some type of production out of the run game because obviously that opens up the play action, that slows down the rush, and that allows them to take some shots downfield and create some good plays. Right. And what do you think of Tyson Philpot as uh, his, his progression in his rookie season? Like, do, where do you see the ceiling on this guy? I mean, he's impressed me every single time he's had the football in his hands, whether that was as a returner uh, or a receiver. You know, and I think, first of all, it's a testament uh, of the quality of the program at the University of Calgary. I mean, over the past couple of years, you can look back to the draft class, uh, you know, when guys like Mike Edom, who's still in the league, came out of Calgary. They've become one of the best pro factories uh, in youth sports, and I think that's apparent uh, in Tyson Philpott in his physical maturity, uh, his mental maturity, and you know how he's been able to uh, adjust to the pro game so quickly, and how he's taken advantage of every single opportunity uh, he's been given. Uh, you know, and and for anybody who's listening to the broadcast, they know that Sean and I are huge fans of Tyson Philpott. We've been lobbying, you know, to see him more on the field, whether that's as a returner. Uh, whereas a receiver, because I think he's earned that opportunity uh, to get some more playing time. He's done a tremendous job now, obviously. Gary injury this past week against Hamilton. Hopefully he'll be okay. He's got the extra bye week to rest, uh, and hopefully we'll see him back in uniform when they take the field against BC in a couple of weeks. Hmm. All right, and uh, can the Alouettes truly win with Trevor Harris as quarterback? You know, I had my doubts at first, um, but I think that he has continued to progress. He's a solid quarterback. He's not a wow type of quarterback. He doesn't give you what Vernon Adams gives you. Uh, You know, the highs aren't as high, but the lows aren't as low either. Now, when Trevor Harris is struggling, uh, it's not disastrous. You know, I I don't think he, he costs. Uh, his football team a game when he's not playing well. He just doesn't make those types of mistakes. But at the end of the day, he's still 
he's still, uh, you know, he's an older quarterback. I don't know if he's a long-term solution for the Alouettes. At one point, they're going to have to make a decision while Vernon Adams Jr. is still young. Is VA our quarterback of the future, or are we looking somewhere else? Um, so that'll be a decision that'll have to be made in the near future for the Alouette. But as far as the way Trevor Harris has been playing so far this season and taking over as the starter, uh, you know, I think he's done a tremendous job. He's provided veteran leadership for that offense. He's done a good job of, of carrying the team. Uh, and I expect that to continue for the rest of the season. That's actually a very fair answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very that's, fair yeah, answer. That, that's my assessment of it, you know. Yeah. Um, I think Trent is a good quarterback. He's not a wow quarterback. Uh, you know, when he's on, he's on. We saw it against Hamilton. He played a good football team. Uh, but, yeah, sorry, a good football game. Uh, but but sometimes he struggles. Uh, I think there's a little bit of a lack of mobility there. Uh, you know, the first game against Hamilton, he struggled a lot especially because of that interior pressure mm-hmm. uh, from the Hamilton defensive line. And I think that's somewhere, you know, that, that, that's the part of the game of his game that he struggles with. When he's got guys in his feet, when that pocket gets constricted around him and there's push in front of them, I think that really rattles him. And he doesn't necessarily have that ability that VA has, you know, to, to get outside of the pocket uh, and create some space and get away from, from the rush. So, uh, you know, for sure so as a, a former quarterback uh has he reached out to you to try and get some perspective on things or have you been willing to offer your perspective on things having been a you know in his shoes so to speak you know i don't try to get uh too involved with those guys obviously we're around them we travel on the team flights but uh, you know, I keep my comments to myself, and, and I think those guys know that if they have any questions or they want any advice, they can always come to me. I mean, you know, I, I was in the league for nine years. I've been around a lot of guys. Uh, I've got a lot of uh, of information and advice to give, but I, I don't ever give it uh, unsolicited. So, you know, Tre- Trevor hasn't approached me about any of that, but <laughs> if he ever wants to have a conversation, uh, obviously, I'd be open to having him uh, having that with him. No doubt and, about it. And I'm sure Danny Matosha, a former caravan like yourself, would probably appreciate uh, you being there for him if needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, hey, I told Danny as well. If ever he needs a, a, a Canadian to suit up, I got about two, three good games in me. So he's got to make sure you know he, he really needs me. I'll give him two, two, three good games, and then I'm hanging him up. There you go. Ratio breaker. <laughs> That'll make an interesting radio broadcast for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If you could do the commentary while you're playing, oh that would be God. phenomenal. That, that's, that, 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 that's, that's TSN mic'd up to the max, man. Yeah, that'll be a whole new fan experience. 
Um, uh, switching from being player to uh, you know radio broadcaster, um, what are the things? What is one of the things that you had to get used to the most? Um, whether it be travel, uh, juggling with your do I? I, I can't really say real job because I'm sure you love both your jobs that you do, Marco. But you know you understand what I'm getting at. I mean, what what's the things that you really had to get used to the most? Becoming a a week to week broadcaster. Yeah, you know, of course, it's just it's juggling real life, right? You know, when I was playing, it was 100% football all day, every day. You know, that, that's my sole focus day in, day out, whether it's the off season or the season. Now, obviously, since then, my family's grown. I have two kids now. Uh, you know, I work as a lawyer. Uh, it, 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 it's a whole different, uh, you know, approach to life and a whole new schedule. But what I do love about this gig is that it keeps me connected with the game. Uh, you know, it keeps me connected with the players, the people that I've met over the years. Because you know, the CFL is, for lack of a better word, very incestuous in the sense that you know it, it's all the same guys, the same coaches, same personnel, and guys that are just getting recycled and kind of shuffling around the league. So I know everyone across the league, and mm-hmm. this gives me an opportunity. Uh, to maintain, you know, my relationships with them. and But, you know, I, I still approach the game similar to the way I do, uh, the way I did when I was a player. Now, obviously, I don't spend uh, nearly as much time, you know, going through a scouting report and getting, getting ready for the game. But I do make sure I set aside some time uh, in the week leading up to the game to, to dive in, to look back at my notes, look back at some of the stats, the games, the stories, uh, get acquainted with who the next opponent is uh, and what are some of the keys and things to look out for uh, during that game. So it, the pre- the preparation is similar, uh, just on a much, 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 much smaller scale now. Yeah. Uh, what uh, Of all the uh, visiting stadiums you've been to, Marco, which is your favorite? Well, I think I obviously have a bias uh, for Mosaic having had spent two years there and mm-hmm. got an opportunity to really see its guts and everything inside, you know, being in that locker room and, and those facilities. I mean, it's just an incredible place with, with an amazing fan base and the great people of, uh, of Saskatchewan. So I, I definitely have to go with Mosaic. It's almost like a, a second home for me on the, on the CFL circuit. For sure. And I'm about to put you on the spot here. I think Cliff's going to like what I'm about to do here because as a lawyer, I want you, Marco, to give us your closing argument on why fans should show up to, to the next home game. Well, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see guys on the field who are fully invested in what they're doing. They're not just going through the motions and collecting paychecks. You know, I think it's pretty obvious that this means something to those guys in that locker room. I mean, I mean, they work hard, and they've had some some bad bounces in the first half of the season, and they had every excuse and every opportunity to just pack it up and write this season off. But instead, they've continued fighting and clawing and trying to win football games, and we're seeing the fruits of their labor here over the past two games. And, I mean, if you want to see one of the best shows in town, there's not a better venue than Percival Molson Stadium on a nice summer or fall evening, I mean, up atop the mountain. And, yeah, hey, just like me, it's got a couple of wrinkles. You know, in old days, it's catching up with it. 
but, but the energy in that stadium, anybody who was there last week against the, for the game against the Hamilton Podcast can attest to the fact that the energy in there was unparalleled. I mean, that place was rocking uh, when the Alouettes made a comeback late in the football game and were able to pull out a win. So if, if you're looking for some excitement in your life, make your way to the mountain, go see an Alouette game, you won't be disappointed. You know, I'm guilty, and I'm already a season ticket holder, so you can. I'm guilty. <laughs> that was amazing, dude. That was great. I was going to say, the defense rests. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I didn't tell you guys I picked up a gig with the marketing team as well. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh-oh. Mar- Marco's going up against Joey. Uh-oh. I want to see this. I want to see oh. this. <laughs> he, he doesn't want that smoke. <laughs> no, he wants nothing to do with me. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, hey, Marco, we, we, we really appreciate your time, man. We love hearing you on the radio. Uh, you give such great insight. I love hearing a player, when, when they switch over to the radio broadcast, hearing their insight um, and what they think about. We know, no matter what team that they happen to be you know, broadcasting for, but uh, it's obviously our pleasure to have you as the, our color commentator for the Galloway's man. And uh, hey, let's, let's not make it another three years before you join us again back on the show. Absolutely not. And guys, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate you guys being fans. I mean, the CFL community, uh, you know, it, it, it's more than just the, the players and, and the coaches and, and personnel. I think it's such a fantastic, intimate league where, you know, a lot of the fans are so close to the players. And, you know, you develop these relationships. I mean, gosh, I've, you know, I've known Cliff since probably my first or second year in the league. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. I don't know of any other professional sports uh, where there are relationships like this, you know, that can develop uh, between players on the field and, and fans in the stands. So, uh, you know, anybody out there uh, who's maybe skeptical about the CFL, it's an amazing league, not only for the product on the field, uh, but I think for the people that are involved in in it as well well said folks make sure you check out marco on twitter at mo bruyette uh i believe you're also on instagram too at mo bruyette do i have that right that's right across the board there you go so folks shoot him a follow get that insight that you, you you're desperately craving make sure you're tuning in to listen to marco and sean campbell on tsn 690 if you're not watching on tsn then listen to these two guys do their thing Absolutely incredible. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the good reviews. As I mentioned to him on the podcast, uh, on the interview, Cliff, we got to get him back after more. You know, let's not make it three more years. Talking to Marco is great. Hearing a perspective from not only being in the broadcast booth but also being a former player. And by the oh. way, that closing argument is something that we need to save. 100%. I, I mean, and again, no surprise. I mean, Marco brings it each and every time. Uh, if, if you've heard it in just one game, being called on TSN 690 with him and Sean Campbell, you know what he can do. Like, the guy, he knows his stuff. He knows his football. He brings it each and every week. I mean, if you're not able to listen to the game on TSN on the on TV for whatever reason, there's no shame in going to the radio and listening to these two guys do their thing. I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic. Exactly. We, we always appreciate Marco coming on. Uh, sharing his his insights, uh, you know, not just from a player's perspective, but now from a broadcast yeah. perspective. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely fantastic. Exactly. So thanks again, Marco. 
you know, you're welcome anytime you want on here. Exactly, man. So as we mentioned, you know, it being a bye week, um, not much news has come about. I mean, one of the biggest things that we have to at least mention is that for the second time this year, uh, quarterback Trevor Harris was named a player of the week. Um, and, you know, there's, we really, there's, you look at his stats, Cliff, and there's really no argument. He, it's a well-deserved honor that he received. Without question. I mean, as I said, we've been hard on him. Because we expect a certain level out of him. After all, I mean, he's he, he came in here with much fanfare. He was brought in as the missing piece to the Alouettes Grey Cup run of 2021 when Vernon Adams went went down to injury. So, I mean, like, he, th- they've been pumping this guy's tires for the better part of, I'd say, a year now. And when he was re-signed in free agency, there's a lot of shock, a lot of, are you kidding me kind of thing. Like, now it's like, okay, now you've got from both of Harris. us. From both of us. Yeah. And then it was kind of sold to us as, well, now you're getting Trevor Harris, uh, a a top quality quarterback for a fraction of the price. I'm like, okay, but I just, (laughs) you know, he's going to have to prove that. And when he took over, yeah, he struggled. He, he didn't look crisp. He didn't look like he, you know, he was doing just enough to pad his stats. I really felt that. But over the past couple of games, I've seen the leadership out of him. I've seen him do the things that we have expected. We expect someone like a Trevor Harris to do. And again, he put the Alouettes in position to win these two games, these last two games. It wasn't pretty by any stretch of the imagination. Just about to say that you took the words right out of my mouth. Exactly. Not pretty at all. But there are no style points in the Canadian Football League, folks. I mean, ugly wins count just as much. And I won't necessarily call this an ugly win. It was a hard-fought battle. No, I it mean, was. It was. It, it, he's and, getting closer to the 2019 semifinal Trevor Harris. And – if he can find that form, man, it looks like he's he's starting to look a lot more comfortable. I mean, he's still holding on to the ball too long, still kind of getting away from the ground game a little bit. I don't know if that's by by design or not, but I mean, like, listen, well, he, hold, he did what he had to do. Yeah, holding on to the ball, that was the first interception this past week. <laughs> Bar none. Yeah. yeah. And listen, this, this is who he is. And just like, you know, as we said in the past, when Vern Adams would make mistakes, and it's like, oh, this—he's that kind of quarterback, the 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 gunslinger style that mm-hmm. he has. Mm-hmm. He's going to make mistakes, and you're just going to have to take the good with the bad. And I think that's pretty much what it is now with Trevor Harris: is you got to take the good with the bad. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to hold on to the ball. He's yeah. going to do things, but at the same time, he's still going to do what it takes to win. And he's going to put drives together. He may not be the guy that throws that game-winning touchdown. But he'll at least put you in a position where you can do something that will ultimately win you the match. And that's exactly what he did last or two weeks ago versus Winnipeg and then last week versus Hamilton. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give Trevor the props for that. And, of course, congratulations for being named one of the players of the week. Exactly. Last week. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both. And there you have the facts of life. You know, the facts of life. Um, also... Um, it was kind of it was announced, pulled back, and then changed. We got some more clarification on it. The Alouettes will be having a members day uh for all the season ticket holders. It's gonna be held originally announced to be held on August twenty eighth at Personal Molson Stadium. But because of scheduling issues, it was actually um it was actually changed and we have we've been told that it should be occurring the weekend of their next buy which is, if I'm not mistaken, September 7th, the weekend of September 17th, 
double checking my calendar here real quick. You are correct. Yeah. So the weekend of the, either the 17th or the 18th, but we've been told most likely it will be the 18th. Um, for that, again, again, it's for season ticket holders. It will be a practice, first practice of the week. Uh, also, at the time, we will be able to, as season ticket holders, you will be able to pick up your season ticket gift for 2022, which is, finally, which we can say, it is a toque. So what what better way to come watch, watch the Owls play? And especially, especially if the Alouettes are going to make this a weekly thing of once or twice during their practice week where they play at Percival Molson. Hey, why not, dude? It, it's, it's a great idea. Absolutely. I mean, especially, too, if you live or work downtown and you find out which day it is where they're having their practice, by all means, swing on by, take a look and, you know, see how this team is preparing for the next game. I exactly. Mean, to so, me, it's always a lot of fun, especially, too, like, I've always said, too, like, that's really, truly, during the season, the probably the best way to get to meet your favorite players is mm-hmm. to go. And after practice, they're there and you can stop and say hello to them and get an autograph, get a selfie, you know, what, you know, just or even just sit and chat with them for a little bit about about football, about life, what have you. I mean, that, to me, that's that's how the uh, the CFL builds those relationships with its fans by letting you get cl- that up close and personal with the players. So, I mean, if you've exactly. got the if you've got the uh, ability to take advantage of something like that, folks, by all means, do so because you'll see a lot, you'll learn a lot, and you get to experience a lot as well. Exactly. Um, so stay to uh, keep looking at your uh, your email and stuff like that, where you will be able to pick up. I think you'll you'll be picking up uh, tickets so you can uh, do your RSVP for the members' day. But again, uh, in the next couple of weeks, you should be seeing something from the team. So um, it should be fun. I like these. I like these type of practices. I really do. I, I like personal most. I mean, nothing against the Big O, but I like what they've been saying recently about being able to practice in your home stadium. I kind of like that. Oh. And one last thing, at least I have to mention, I'm curious to know what your thought is, because it's very interesting, the information that we received. The new the news story that broke by the Journal de Montréal last weekend, or, or, or I guess it was the same day where they practiced at Purcell Molson before their game versus Hamilton Cliff. It was mentioned in no uncertain terms that they've been talking to McGill about the potential possibility of reconfiguring the the field to meet normal cfl field specifications now i think it's a great idea but so far in the people that i've reached out to specifically over in the side uh, when it comes to mcgill the answer that we've received in return is currently no comment (laughs) so as i mentioned to you on social or on, on the text to you cliff well, there's smoke, but what what does that mean going forward? But that would be oh. so weird. This field has been in that configuration for so long. You know, as I don't know how long that that track has been there. Obviously, since not at least '97. Yep, and uh, but how long? Even, how long before I, that? Yeah, and also to the fact that McGill doesn't even use it for their track uh, mm-hmm. track events. Yeah, because they got the field. Yeah, they have their field house. So, so, I mean, it's kind of just sitting there, you know, serving no purpose for anybody other than to rob uh, Eugene Lewis of touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It's, it would be interesting, dude. I think it would be a huge, it would be a game changer. It really, really would. So, I mean, the last time that the Owls had changed their field was in 2013. Um, maybe it'd be, it's going to be 10 years if they do it next year or, or whatever they decide. Well, we'll follow up with you guys if we hear any more information. But at least I wanted to at least mention that before we finish the show because... Uh, That'd be, 
that that's it, it it's a, a I don't know how many people saw it the story and how how many how much people thought you know it's really a nothing story it's not a nothing story it may not be players and the game itself but this is this is on field stuff well and as i said i mean eugene lewis uh, this year alone i think has been robbed of if i'm not mistaken maybe potentially two touchdowns because when he, when he came down out of bounds it, I mean that sh- there, he should have that should have been a touchdown because the but because the 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 end zone is modified mm-hmm. to conform to the track standard, uh, yeah he he kind of got jobbed out of a couple of tutties so yep. that's yep that's one of those things that you know hopefully going forward that uh, you know as you know as the Alouettes want to grow and continue to bring fans back to personal most stadium to see football games. I mean, it, it's kind of weird. It kind of reminds me of BMO Field, how they've got altered end zones as well. But mostly because even though the stadium was designed to have CFL football in it, their end zones are also too compromised because for the first part of their life, BMO Field was strictly a soccer stadium. And then it had to sort of cram a, uh, a CFL field in there some way, somehow, despite kind the fact it was supposed to be. Kind of like what they did at Blue Cross, up uh, Blue Cross Field up in uh, or Blue Cross Stadium up in Moncton. They had expanded, right? So, yeah, so, should I mean, be fun. But again, I, I'm I'm curious to see if if these changes do come to light. Uh, I, I think as long as the Alouettes keep being successful and they keep drawing in crowds like they did last Saturday, I mean, ultimately you want to prove that this is where this is where your football team should be playing. Prove that this is the atmosphere like no other. You may as well give the team, you know, your best tenants as far as I'm concerned. Give them what they want, and if that means modifying the end zone to be a proper CFL regulation end zone, then that's what you got to do. I mean, you're not even using the track anyways for its intended purpose, so you might as well. Yes, I mean, sir. The, 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 this is almost a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. But again, McGill, obviously, they're the owners. It's their it's their house, so to speak. So you can't necessarily tell them what to do with it. But, you know, if if Mario Cicchini can work his magic and kind of convince him, hey, listen, this is, this is going to benefit all of us in the long run. So... If he can, if he can make that happen and McGill kind of sort of sees the value in 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 making those changes, then everybody wins as far as I'm concerned. So exactly, here's, here's hoping that they truly give us some consideration and maybe by 2023 we'll have a sort of new look Percival Molson Stadium. It'd be interesting. Um, again, we'll be we'll be back next week to talk uh, to set up the game versus the Ottawa Red Blacks. Reminder again, you can uh, once it is out, you can. Um, uh, put in your names for those uh, uh, sport bef- flight crew seats for those pair of tickets to see the uh, Owls versus the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks at Percival Molson on September second. Um, speaking of sport buff, yeah. I'm gonna Cliff. I'm gonna be meeting up with the guys at Sport Buff this Friday, so potentially stay tuned uh, for a little bit of insider information from uh, from the warehouse over at Sport Buff when I speak with uh, Chris and Gary. Should be nice Jeez. to meet to meet up with them. So. Well, thanks for not inviting me. You're working, dude. I happen to have the Friday yeah. off, so. <laughs> uh, well, how, how's bragging camp going? <laughs> uh, well, you know, eh, 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 you know, poison ivy. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, enjoy the week, Suns Alouettes. But we'll be back next week to talk everything Alouettes football. So everybody here for at the Alouettes flight deck for Cliffy D. I'm Tim Capper. Ron, final approach.
Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.